Thank you, Pastor. If you would, if you would turn to uh, John chapter 12. I'm going to be in and out of that scripture for 20 minutes on the dot, because that's just what I got. It's, you know, Rodney was talking last, uh, last week about, you know, the longer he's preached. You know, the shorter the notes get, the longer the sermon. It doesn't matter how long my notes are. It's 20 minutes. If I scribble on a napkin, it's 20 minutes. So, John chapter 12. Um, truly, I, uh, this is 23 and 24. I'm just going to read uh, 24 here. It says, truly, I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat that falls into the earth dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, for allowing us to gather together once again, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you will just anoint, Lord, what I'm about to say, Lord. I believe it comes from you, and, and with that confidence and that faith, Lord, I just believe it's going to touch every life here in one manner or the other, that by your Holy Spirit, you will open up our hearts, Lord, to not only hear it and receive it, Lord, but that you will enlighten us, Lord, to apply it to our lives in, in each unique area, in each family in this church, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and that which I now live in the flesh. I live through faith from the Son of God, the one having loved me, having given up himself for me. There, There is this... Um, uh, I don't know, this is, I wouldn't want to call it revelation, but just this, this rebirthing of things inside of me of looking back, you know, when I was, um, you know, first coming to this church and when I was first saved, the, the, you know, just the feeling about being forgiven of my sins and, and all the things I, I like to pat myself on the back. Amber knows that. So, but to look back, I, there is absolutely nothing that I've done to deserve where I am right here. There's no decision I only made one decision, that is to follow him, but that decision he laid before me. Without it, I have nothing. And so with that in mind, I, I understand more and more each day and each prayer and each time I open the Bible just how, how little I know and how little I understand when I know him more and how much that I need him, how much that I need his spirit to guide my life. And I, I'm a pretty pragmatic guy. I like rules laid out for me. I, you know, when I'm on the job, just tell me what the job description is, and then I'm good. And uh, that's just not the life of Christ. It's not how it was ever meant to be. It's a, it's a relationship. Um, it's a, it's a, a walk of faith. It's a walk of learning. It's a walk that is made between a disciple and his rabbi. That is the walk that we are to, to live. So I was, I was reading, um, and I'm not going to get too philosophical on you, but I was reading this philosophical uh, uh, argument by Aristotle, and it was talking about virtues, and it was it, it, just something just jumped out at me when it was mentioned that virtue is what lies between two vices. So, for example, cowardice and cruelty, what lies in the middle is bravery, and you can kind of see that in a, in a lot of different areas, you know, that that the, that to be virtuous, to, for, to have a good... Um, Good moral character lies in a balance between two things that are in the extreme. We could see that in church. There is the ultra-conservative conservative where we're just by the book, and then there's the ultra, 
the ultra spiritual where we don't do anything by the book. We don't, when we get up to preach, we don't even have any notes. We just plop open the Bible and just see what happens. So we have that. But somewhere there is a balance of the spirit of God and, and what we are to do. But, and I'm not going to get too far into that. The only reason why I mention that is because it just defines to me that this walk is not about rules and it's not about law. It's about relationship with the Lord. It's about relationship with each other. It's about a life-giving spirit that dwells in each and every one of us. See, my kids don't need rules. My kids need a father and a mother. They don't need a set of rules. The congregation doesn't need a list of do's and don'ts. What it needs is pastoral leadership and care and relationships with one to another in order to grow. And so what is connected, what is connected to Christ, what is the product of our connection to him, is the only thing that matters. And if we align ourselves with him, we can become all that he intended for us to be as individuals and as a local body and as a kingdom, an overall kingdom. Amen? Outside of him, there is no life. Outside of Christ, there is no life. There may be good habits. There may be a good lifestyle. There may be some that are good, better than others, but there is no life. That life is unique to our connection with him. There is no born-again experience outside of our connection to Christ. And so when I'm in prayer and I pray for the people here and I pray for my family, the one thing that pray for individual things that, that people are going through, but at the end I always pray, Lord, make yourself real and known to them. Make yourself alive by your spirit to them because when that happens, things change in our lives. When that happens, all other things pass by the wayside. They just don't seem as important anymore. And so I often um, self-reflect and examine myself as Paul instructs us to do. You know, he says that he often examines himself to see whether he's still in the faith. And I examine myself to make sure that what I'm, I'm still on the right track and what I'm doing is correct. And with that reflection, I always go back to, I, I don't think I've ever even told Amber this, but I remember when I was, I, I probably couldn't have been more than about eight years old, probably Glenn's age. My sister and I were, were home by ourselves. Yeah, that was a really simple time back then, home by ourselves at eight, eight and nine years old. And somebody knocked at the door and and I answered it because that's just what she did back then. I just, yeah, someone's at the door. Sometimes I wonder if, if um, you know, I'm parenting too strict or if my parents were too lax in how they raised me. But it's uh, somewhere between the two. But I remember answering the door, and this man was there, and he was, he was giving out tracts, you know, Bible tracts. And he said this to me, and I'll never forget it. He said, you, all you have to do is you have to pray to the Lord, and he'll forgive you of your sins. And that just boggled my mind. It's like, oh, my God, I didn't know that. So my sister and I ran to our rooms, and we prayed that prayer. And then we came back and told the guy, he said, right on, and he left. I'm not sure if that's what he said exactly, but, you know, I was eight years old. But I often wonder if that planted something inside of me. If God, you know, through, because I wonder sometimes, I don't know if you've wondered this, how did I get here? How did I end up here? And I wonder if maybe back then I said that prayer and God just started lining me out. Because I really meant it. I remember it as clear as day. That something was planted inside of me. And it took years and years for it to produce something inside of me. 
So that was a long introduction. Okay, the rest is going to be short. In Matthew uh, chapter 3, and this is verse 8. Um, let me get there real quick. Matthew chapter 3. I'm going to be at verse 5. It says, The people went out to, to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea and the whole region around the Jordan confessing their sins. They are baptized by him. That's not, that's not the right verse. Oh, yeah. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his place of baptism, he said, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit then in keeping with repentance. That keep uh, worthy of repentance, that is a matching, meaning that it, the fruits that are produced have to match that repentance. What that means is, is if you truly repented, then what you should, the fruit that you should bring forth should be a product of that repentance. Now, we as minister, ministers have often been accused of judgment, being too judgmental, and I'm sure that's not going to change anytime soon. There's a reason for that. You do this long enough, and anybody who has truly repented understands that there are certain things that happen to a person when they repent. There are certain fruits that come about when you repent. And when we don't see the, the fruit, when we don't see the product of that repentance come to fruition, it puts a question in our minds of whether there was true repentance or not. Because it's not just enough to say you're sorry. The, the, the sorrow should work. It plants in you something that should bring forth in its time a fruit, a product of that repentance. And the re reason why I say that is it goes back to that seed that we talked about that I, that I referred to in John chapter 12. That the fruit has to match the tree or else we got a different seed going on. See, fruit is for production. That's its whole purpose, is to produce something. Now, we like to eat fruit, and we have it to eat it, but that's not really what it, it's meant to be consumed so that it could be deposited later on and so that it could replenish and it could bring forth something. It's not for, you know, decoration. It's not for, you know, these things are supposed to, this fruit is supposed to produce something. And when you repent, it brings forth fruit, and then that fruit produces more things in your life. It should continue on. It continues to produce not just repentance from sin, but a life in Christ. It is that life-giving seed that produces more in your life. Amen? So in Luke chapter 13 and verse uh, 6 through 9, this is Jesus is speaking this parable. A certain man had a fig tree. And he planted in his vineyard, and it, be, and it came seeking fruit, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he did not find any. And he said to the vine dressers, Behold, throughout these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and do not find any. Therefore, cut it down. Why even should it use up the ground? And answering, he says to him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig the ground around it and put manure, and indeed it should bear fruit in its time. So be it. But if not, you will cut it down. Fruit is the sign of a healthy tree. That it, it, you don't need to work at it. 
it will produce. Okay? Now, there's a lot of reasons why a tree won't produce. Part of it is it's just not ready yet. Some trees take years and years before they will produce. But as we could see here, and I didn't do any research. I don't have a big dissertation about what fig trees do. I have no idea. I've never raised one. My mother-in-law had a fig tree. It was awesome. But I don't know if three years is too long. Some, it may, may, three years may be just long enough, and it's not producing fruit. Well, what good's the tree if it's not producing fruit? Amen? What good is it if it's, it's, why would you have a fruit tree that not produce, that doesn't produce fruit? And so it, it, it is up to us to examine what we're producing in the kingdom. Now, I don't want to confuse you here because I don't, this is, you know, the part where, you know, we talk about fruit production and how many converts did you have? How many people did you invite to church? I'm not putting any pressure on that on you. I don't know. It doesn't really, it, I, you know, I had this guy, he was talking to me about our church, you know, when we first moved here, and that was the first thing he asked, you know, how many converts do you have? I have no idea. You know, I, that's not how I measure things. I measure things by the fruit. The fruit produces seed. Then the seed, whether it produces life in another person, I have no idea. But that I'm producing fruit is all that matters. Fruit is, is just life. There should be life being produced in, in you and me. If there's not, then something is wrong. Then something's wrong. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says, this, The thief comes only that he might steal and might kill and might destroy. But I came that you have, might, may have life and life more abundantly. See, Jesus isn't just about, you know, producing repentance. And then, and the pastor kind of alluded to this this morning. Forgiveness of sins is the beginning of life in a Christian. If it stays there, it will rot and die and you will go back to where you came from. Because it must produce more. That fruit of repentance is the start, and then it must produce new life and continue to grow us and continue to mature us into a man and woman of God in the image of God. That is the end result. That is what God is trying to produce. He's not trying to produce a bunch of people that are forgiven of sin. He's trying to produce people that look like an, a, a family, a group of pe a people that he has. It is that life more abundantly. Life that continues to produce life. Life that continues to grow and mature and produce more fruit. All areas of our lives should be sprouting with signs of life that manifests outwardly into our home and into our church. And this is why Paul, when he's talking about an overseer and what, what you should look for before you appoint an overseer, that his family should be run properly. Why is that? Because there should be outward signs that there is life being produced in that, li in that person. That in his family, his ch that life has continued into his children and his wife and his family. Is, there is production going on. And then we can take that production, we can put it into the church. Is everybody following me okay? Everybody following me? Sometimes you guys are looking at me like I actually did speak in tongues. Anyway. A well-functioning home is a product of well-functioning individuals. And that and fruit just, just comes. It's, it's not something we have to force. It's not something that I have to, to make happen. It is automatic in a healthy person. 
You know, I remember, you know, Noel uh, was sitting or he was standing in, at the altar. Um, I can't even remember who was preaching. It was at some camp meeting. And this woman was trying to force him to speak in tongues. And he was really mad. That was probably the maddest I've ever seen, Noel. But it made me laugh because that's what we do. We try, we, instead of just focusing on our health and our growth, and we're focusing on whether we're producing fruit or not, and then we're just trying to make artificial fruit. Well, I'll speak in tongues. Well, I'll prophesy. Well, I'll do all these things. And really, those things just come naturally in a healthy, uh, functioning body. That should just automatically happen. The, the fruits of the Spirit should automatically come, come out as we grow and as we're mature. And if they don't, we don't just go to the branch and try to shake it some more to get some fruit grow. We go back to the tree and make sure the tree is healthy. Amen? Man. In John chapter 11... And verse 25, it's Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one believing in me, even if he should die, he will live. And everyone living and believing in me shall die to the end of the age. And this is where I go back to John chapter 12, when it says, Truly I say unto you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth, it dies and remains alone. So when that, when that fruit is produced, there's all sorts of fruits that are produced. There's all sorts of, of things that happen in our life, revelations that happen in our life, things that, that, um, that you know, just glories that we, uh, the Bible talks about grace in place of grace. So just, we hit one grace and then we, we move into another. And this is that, those life-giving seeds that are inside of us. But unless a seed, so when the fruit falls from the tree, it the natural thing for it to do is to die. See, if a tree just keeps producing fruit and that tree is never allowed to shed that fruit and it die, it can never produce more. It will never produce more. See, I didn't know this, but a seed is truly dead. So when Jesus is talking here, he's not mistaking biology here. He's right. A, a seed is really dead. Let me just read something to, to you that I that I was looking up here um, about a seed, and I, I think you're going to understand really where I'm going with this. Said so seeds, once separated from their parent, are cut off from all nutrition. There is no photosynthesis. What is pe peculiar about a seed is it does not require nutrition. Some would call this a dormant stage, not dead. Some animals hibernate, but in hibernation, their functions are complete, and they continue consuming nu uh, nutrition stored fat stuff like that. If immature, they will continue to grow during hibernation. Growth and nutrition are signs of true life, and a seed does not consume anything stored in itself, nor does it leach on something else as a parasite. Like hibernation, a pupa, so it's talking about a caterpillar here, is morphing continually into a cocoon, and as a living thing is constantly changing, it is more like a fetus in a womb taking its program shape and stages. Seeds can maintain this functionally dead state for literally thousands of years, neither growing nor consuming. The seed has all the characteristics of something not alive, like a rock which does not change with time. It is the same one day in the form and character as it was 500 years earlier. Either can it only change if broken by external forces. But even a rock and a seed are different because at one time the seed lived. At one time it lived. The seed was alive and it grew and it consumed nutrition to reach its independence from its parents. 
But once detached and cut off from the source of nutrition, it died, taking on the characteristics of a non-living thing. In another place and at another time, under the right circumstances, germination is triggered and suddenly there is a type of resurrection. Now, I didn't, that's, this is not a Christian article, but it, you can kind of see where I'm going here. There is a resurrection. There is a movement. There is a change. It turns into something alive. And at germination, the seed does not become its old self, but something completely different. The seed can never return to its former seed state after coming alive. It can never live again without nutrition. It is vulnerable, dependent on certain environmental necessities, and can be killed by disease, by insect storm and extreme environmental damage. The seed died once for the first time. Triggered by the right conditions, the seed lives again to become something unlike it anything it was before. No one, one seed sees a resemblance between its tree and its seed. See, there are things in our life that we hold on to. And I, I'm speaking this from experience. This is kind of the part where I'm going to speak in gener- a little bit of generalities. I'm just going to trust that the Spirit of the Lord is going to open up your heart. And you're going to see what the Lord is trying to speak into each and every one of us. But there is this part where we have produced and where things are good and things are plentiful. It is harvest time. Because everybody, you know, we, we could look back on our lives and see the good harvest time where things were going really well. And then all of a sudden that time ends. And this can go into a lot of areas in our life. That, that just, just the time is over. That blossoming and fruiting time is done. But we continue to try to hold on because it's a good time. We love that time and we try to hold on to that time. We try to hold on to that fruit and keep it on the tree and keep it going. But that fruit has to do what it's came to do, what it was produced to do. And that was to bring forth new life. And in order for it to bring forth new life, it first must die. It first must die. Seed time and harvest equals death and new life. Death, burial, and, say it with me, resurrection. The children of Israel buried in Egypt, but at the appointed time, they emerged a nation. They had to die to that old way where Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were just walking around with their families, at some point they had to become a nation. Well, they had to get buried and die to that in order to come out and be a nation. In order for the church to have life, the nation of Israel must die in order to spring forth new life in the church that we have that God intended from the beginning. See, I even if the children, even if if the Hebrews, the the Israelites, even if they accepted Jesus and went right on, we love you, you're our Messiah. We're you know every, anything you say goes. We love you, Lord. That system was still going to die. It wasn't going to continue on. It wasn't a punishment to them because they rejected Him. That system w- had a place and a time, and then it was over in order to bring new life. And I think sometimes we as people try to hold on to things that we should just let die. Just let it go. And that's something hard to say. There are probably some people in our lives, I know there's some people in my life that you just have to let go. Let them go. And trust that the seed that you put in them is enough. 
and that at the appointed time, something might be birthed in them. But once that seed is out, it's out of your control. And to try to hold on to it and to try to try to make something happen is to go against everything that a seed is designed to do. We just let it go. Let it die. We all love spring. We don't get spring without the wintertime. It, it lays the foundation for spring. Everything dies, goes to the ground in order for that life to, be, to begin anew. Jesus was born a man. He was baptized and Christed in the Jordan. Buried in the desert, emerged as Christ, crucified, rose on the third day, and became and was God and Father to the church. But he has to die in order for that to happen. You know, Peter gets in trouble because he's trying to keep that from happening. Well, if it doesn't happen, Peter, then we don't get where we are today. It must happen. This guy is coming through, and he's, and he's looking at that fig tree, and it hasn't produced fruit. Maybe it's time to cut it down. Maybe it is time to cut it down. Maybe it's time to cut some branches. Maybe there are, th there are branches in our life that are just not producing anything, and we just have to let them die, have to let them go. They're just, now, are they beautiful? Are they good things? Sure, but they're not producing. They're not producing. You know, I, I was speaking um, a couple weeks ago. You guys remember I was speaking about pruning? You know, I think pretty much everybody was in here. So, I was doing that, and what I like to do is I just prune the flowers, and I just throw them into the, into the garden bed, and I let them rot so that, you know, all that energy that it took to produce those flowers will just go back in the dirt, and they'll use it up again. But then I'm out there weeding, weeding, and I notice something, that there's all these little plants that are growing around where I laid those flowers, and they looked a lot like the, the plants that I had planted. Well, I cut those flowers and they died and all those seeds just went in the ground. They just start growing again. But if I cut those flowers and I held on to them, oh my goodness, I love those flowers. Please, please stay there. Try to, try to do all that I can to keep them going. They will never produce more. They will never produce more. Some of us just, just need to let it die. And I, and I keep going back to this and I don't know what it, what it means to you. I know what it means to me. But in order that something can be produced, we have to let things die, have to let things go. You know, um, one of the hardest things, and I think I speak for everybody on this, when we moved, when I moved from California is, you know, I have to, I have to give it to the children of Israel. You know, I kind of know what they're going through now when they look back, you know, the leeks and the garlics, they were so awesome back then, you know, and, um, Looking back in California at that life, and you know, you always romanticize that, which isn't any going on anymore. You know, I California is a lot more awesome than, or I thought it was a lot more awesome than it really is. You know, it wasn't that great, but when you're in the in the mire here, and you're really, and it's winter time, it looks really awesome. You know, it, it looked great, but there were some things that just had to go. Some things that just had to die. Some ways of thinking that I had to let go of. So, some, you know, thoughts, nothing bad. See, sin must die in order for you to have life in Christ. If we establish that, it has to. But also, too, in order for us to go from one grace to another, we have to let go and let that old grace die in order for us to grow into something more. The only thing, that we must make sure remains is our abiding in Christ. 
because he is that which we draw everything from. If we don't abide in him, if I start cutting off branches, I don't expect those branches to have life. They're going to die unless they are plugged into the tree, unless they are plugged into the vine. John chapter 15, verse 4 through 8, abide in me and I in you. As a branch is not able to bear fruit of itself unless, unless it abides in the vine. So neither you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. The one abiding in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you are able to do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown out like the branch and is dried up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire. And it is burned. If you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you wish, and, it, and to you it will come to pass. In this my Father is glorified that you should bear much fruit, and you shall be my disciples. I think sometimes, me personally, and, you know, I believe this applies to a lot of people, but I know that in my life, I'm more, I got more worried about the fruit than I was abiding. See, the fruit is a sign of life, but I must understand that if I'm not bearing fruit, I have to look back to the vine. Am I still abiding? Am I still in him? Am I connected to him? Am I receiving all that I need in order to produce? It is him alone which gives us that nourishment in order to be productive in our life. It's the only thing. We can do a lot of things. If we prune without being, without his direction, without his guidance, we are going to be cut off. And that is not a place where you want to be. You do not want to be cut off. Abiding is all we are ever asked to do. Remain and abide. Everything else in this world, everything, is dedicated to detaching you from that vine. That's what makes it so difficult. See, all we have to do is abide in Christ. That sounds easy, except for everything is against you by abiding in Christ. Everything is trying to detach you. Everything is trying to pull you away from abiding in Christ. Everything. Everything from the world, everything from church systems. I'm not talking about God's church. I'm just talking about religious duties and things like that. We're trying to replace our abiding in him is trying to detach you. So how do we abide in Christ? Well, he says it in the next couple verses. As the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. As I have kept my Father's commandments, I abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that you might have joy in you and, you, and your joy may be full. Abiding by obeying, abiding in his love by him being our Lord. See, it's not enough that, he, that we worship God because God's somewhere out there and everybody's opinion counts when it comes to the big man upstairs. But when it comes to Christ, he is our Lord. He directs us. We abide in him by receiving his voice and instruction and obeying that voice and instruction. It is that call. It is that lordship that we submit to that produces fruit in our lives. Amen? Everything else is a secondary priority to abiding in him. It is that great 
conditional conjunction. And I actually managed to squeeze that into one of my uh, um, demonstrations for BG. That conditional conjunction. Conditional conjunction if. That if means I have a duty in this thing. When I see the word if, God's already going to take care of his part. If I take care of mine. I will produce fruit. There will be life in me if I abide in him. Amen. Amen. Pastor.